Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are. Our selfish human nature teaches us that our reputations are more important than the value we find in others. But what would happen if we abandoned this self-centered thinking? Join us now as we continue our journey through the lineage of Jesus with Cheryl Broderson. Cheryl's message to the praise of His grace, Judah. God says in Jeremiah, I'm going to take out that hard heart they have and give them a heart of flesh, a heart that feels. Maybe before you were a Christian, you said, I was so tough. I could go through trials and not feel anything. Now everything hurts. Yeah. Welcome to the land of the living But God is making you an object of praise just like he made Judah an object of praise. Judah explains their circumstances to Jacob. But again, even though he was treated roughly, Judah, for the sake of his family and for his father, is willing to go back to Egypt, go back to the court of Joseph for grain. And not only that, he has to take his brother Benjamin And he says to his father, my life for his life. Now we see that not only is Judah valuing another life above his. He valued Tamar. He valued his family's life. He values Benjamin's life above his own. And said, if anything happens to him, my life for his life. If he gets in trouble, I stay in Egypt. He comes back. In Joseph's court... And you probably remember this, that Joseph was testing his brothers and he had his his cup put into Benjamin's bag and then he sent his soldiers after his brothers and they found the cup in Benjamin's bag and they said, no, we'll just arrest Benjamin. And Judah steps up and says, no, we'll all go back and I will take the brunt of whatever Benjamin's done. Blame me. I promised my father that I would be surety for my brother. And he intercedes for Benjamin with Joseph. And he says, we can't do this to my father Jacob. It will kill my father. It will hurt my father. Now here's Judah who callously way back 16 years earlier didn't care about what his father's reaction would be at the death of his most beloved son. But now we see Judah has changed. And he says, no, I will not hurt my father. Perhaps it was because of the death of his own sons, Ur and Onan, that he was unwilling. I know that pain. And I don't want my father to suffer like that anymore that he's already hurt. Now Judah cares about the feelings of his father. And it's at this point that Judah is ready 
and able to receive the blessing of God. He is able to become that which God spoke he would be. His life is turned around. Joseph reveals himself to Judah. And Judah isn't, Judah isn't destroyed by this. He's not jealous of Joseph. He's relieved. He's blessed. He's covered. He's forgiven. He's saved. He's exalted. He's fed. He's pulled into the lineage of the king through Perez, the son of Tamar. Sometimes God will speak things to us, maybe a promise in the Bible, and you're reticent to accept it because you're saying, God, the circumstances right now look so far from this. I mean, honestly, Lord, Bara, you're going to have to create out of nothing to make this come true, to make this happen. I can't see this happening. And you're holding on to promises. You're trying to. And you're almost saying, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. Because sometimes what happens is God gives you a promise and then it seems like hell itself rises up to fight against the very promise that God has given you. Maybe like Leah, you're hoping that something will turn around, something that you do or something that you say, some accomplishment. And finally, you just have to say, you know what? God's got to do it himself because there's nothing I can bring. There's nothing that I can do that will help or alleviate this situation. It's got to all be God. Maybe like Judah, you're saying, Lord, there's not much to work with here. Rather than a cause for praise, things seem to be going from bad to worse. But again, we must remember that God calls things as they will be not according to their natural condition, not according to what you see. In 2 Corinthians four sixteen through 18, Paul wrote these words. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far greater weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Don't believe your eyes. Believe God's word. Believe his promises. Let his promises be your greater reality. God is working through the present things to make us those women that he can fulfill his word, his promises, and his purposes in. But what does it start with? We have to acknowledge our true nature. We cannot afford to trust our own hearts. We can't afford to lean on our own understanding. We have to realize that our fallen natures are capable of far more evil than we realize. And we cannot give in to our nature. We can't. I think I told you before, and I'll tell it really quickly, but being in England... I was, um, the workload had become so hard on me. I was homeschooling all the children. I was teaching Sunday school on Sunday evenings and every other week on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings. I was doing two Bible studies on Tuesday, one in the morning, one in the evening. Did I tell you my children tried to fire me? They even signed a petition that I couldn't homeschool them. 
that's the pastor kid that instigated that. <gasps> to get the little guys, they didn't even have penmanship down. That's because their homeschool teacher wasn't doing so well. But it was a really, really hard time for me. And, and I remember Brian kept inviting people to stay with us. And a load of laundry took two and a half hours just to wash. I took another hour to dry and I could only do nine pounds of laundry at a time. And I had to go down this steep metal staircase where you had to hold the laundry basket like this and pray that you didn't miss a step going down because it was more like going down a ladder and going up a ladder. Our laundry, our washing machine was up on stilts. So I had to get on a stool. You have to open the door, get on the stool, open the door, get down from the stool, get a load, go up the stools two steps, put it in the washing machine, put the laundry detergent in, close the door, go down, you know, turn it on, go down two steps, and then, you know, up the flight of stairs. So when people would come to stay with us, I measured them by loads of laundry. Oh, man, they're like a five-hour ordeal. You know, I just, this was it. And we were coming off six straight weeks of guests. And I'm trying to homeschool, do Sunday school, do the Bible studies, be the pastor's wife. Plus, we had a prayer meeting um, to, um, for the men and for the women at our house, too. And I'm trying to keep everything together. I'm trying so hard. And I keep saying to myself, good little servant, good little servant. You're such a good servant. You're such a good servant. Nobody knows how good a servant you are. So good. And uh, our landlord would come over unexpectedly and inspect the house and then tell me how I could improve on my cleaning. And he would stop in and you never knew when he was going to come. And not only that, I used to make cookies like every other day. He would get in my cupboard, take my tea, sit at my table, eat my cookies and tell me how I could improve my housekeeping. So one day, another guest arrived and I found out that the landlord would be stopping by. I'd done all the dishes. I kept the house clean and I went into the kitchen and somebody had used the blender and left it there for me to wash. It was my, it was my daughter's fiance, Michael, at the time. He's now the son-in-law. And you know what I did? what any red-blooded woman would do. I fell on the floor wailing over a blender. Wailing, literally. And this man is in my living room. And I'm in the kitchen going, Brian walks in and he's like, what's going on? Nobody appreciates me. I'm such a good servant. And nobody appreciates the servant of all. And Brian looked at me and said, you are so in the flesh. And that did not go over well. <laughs> that made me wail all the harder. And I have to say, I was wailing. I was not going, that's not nice. Or that's not nice. No, I was like, ah, you know, like the woman you hide in the attic. That was me <laughs> in the kitchen. And this poor pastor that we had never met before, he's hearing this, it was bad it was so bad well to make a long story short after Brian took him to a different place to stay and he explained to Brian that he once felt like his wife should be more of a servant until he found out she had a brain tumor 
And then he never loved or appreciated his wife so much. And Brian looked at him and said, well, Cheryl doesn't have a brain tumor. <laughs> That's where we were. Brian came back because he was convicted. And I didn't want to forgive him, but I finally did. And I remember just saying to the Lord, Lord, <laughs> so unlike me. I'm such a sweet person. I'm such a servant. I do all these things for you. And I just love, 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 love you. So what happened? Who was that person that showed up? And the Lord showed me that I had been eating a steady diet of pity biscuits. Every time it's like, you have to do another load of laundry. You poor thing. And I'm like, catching the pity biscuits. I'm eating them. I'm gorging on pity biscuits. Like, oh. You poor servants, two and a half hours. Let's just do the pity biscuits. You know, you had to do the dishes, pity biscuits. You had to teach Sunday school. Get three boxes, pity biscuit, pity biscuit. You taught those Bible studies, pity biscuit. You're homeschooling your children who don't want you to. Pity biscuit, pity biscuit, pity biscuit. Until I have fed the ravenous beast, the pity monster, inside of me. And he came out. Because if you feed him, he comes out for more. Me hungry. Me want pity biscuit. And it was scary. And I remember being shocked by the monster that came out. I wanted to disassociate with a monster, but he was wearing my clothes. <laughs> and I had to acknowledge my nature. You see, within each of us, there is the flesh and the spirit, and whichever one you feed will dominate. You feed the flesh, and the flesh will dominate. You feed the spirit, and the spirit will dominate. So Judah spent the first part of his life because he didn't know how dangerous his flesh was. So he indulged it. You're jealous, you poor thing. You're the fourth child, you poor thing. Your father loves Joseph more, you poor thing. Pity biscuit, pity biscuit, pity biscuit, pity biscuit until he turned into a murderous brother. Pity biscuit. Leaving and deceiving his daughter-in-law. Pity biscuit, pity biscuit. My sons died. Pity biscuit, pity biscuit. Until he realized the monster that he had been feeding was his flesh. We cannot afford to feed ourselves these pity biscuits. God works in us this work of humility by showing us our true nature. This is not just my nature. You've got a flesh and a spirit too. Just don't buy the pity biscuit second shelf from the left-hand side. But humility comes with the evaluating of ourselves. When we get a greater concern for the heart of our Heavenly Father than we do for our own heart, when our concern is about others and their welfare above our own, when we're no longer insisting on our rights, no longer trying to fulfill our own desires, no longer is life about my self-fulfillment or my pursuit of happiness, but it's about pleasing God and serving him. As Paul said, this one thing I do Putting the past behind, I seek to apprehend that for which Christ Jesus apprehended me. When we seek to be that which Christ wants us to be. This is what Jesus did for us. 
He gave up his rights. He let go of his desires. It was not about his fulfillment, but it was about pleasing his heavenly father. He gave up all of this in heaven to become all that God intended him to be. That men might be saved. He did all this to please his father and to save us. When we devaluate ourselves, when we realize who we really are, then God begins to create and do his best work. When we're not trying to help with the process anymore, trying to throw in something of ourselves, but God is allowed to work from nothing. Bara, this is when he makes worlds and trees and plants and suns and stars and skies and birds. Judah did not deserve God's blessing. Yet when he became nothing, God exalted him to the greatest honor of all Jacob's sons. We're so afraid to become nothing. And yet until we become nothing, we'll never be something. We must become nothing. The blessing and the birthright that Jacob had so wanted, that he had coveted, went to the fourth son of Leah. God has called each one of us to be what we cannot be on our own. He has called each one of us to be objects of praise, grace, and beauty to his praise. Recently, I've been lied about and slandered, and I've experienced the loss of something I cherish. I cherish my reputation. I wanted everyone to know I was a daddy's girl and I absolutely adored my dad. Never raised my voice to my father in my entire life. You just didn't. He was too sweet. He was too much my teddy bear and my John Wayne at the same thing, time. And I realized that for the rest of my life, there are gonna be people that will believe the lies, that will be suspect of me for their own ends. And I shared these feelings with someone very close in a text conversation and I'm gonna read you that text conversation. This is me. I, kept, I keep thinking about how I always cherished my good reputation. I loved that thing. Now it's gone. There will always be people for their own sense of security who will believe the lies and hold me suspect. Yet, I am mindful that the same thing happened to Jesus. There are those who would rather believe the lies about Jesus than the truth. There are some who will always hold him suspect. So I am seeking to press into the one who yielded up his reputation for me. This is my friend. Stay close to Jesus today. There's peace in his heart. There's peace in his eyes. There's peace in his presence. Legion terrifies us, running at us from the tomb, screaming. Oh, what happens to the reputation of those who go to their execution with the Lord who died between two thieves? And sadly, I have more in common with the thieves than the Savior, for we are receiving what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Does Shimei curse me? Let him. Perhaps God will hear it and return good to me instead of his curses. Me. Yep, I cared too much about that old reputation. Him. Good riddance, eh? Me. Yep. It was a little too self-righteous anyway. Got on my nerves. Sure makes me willing to go to Africa. 
or wherever else the Lord leads. See, I have this thing, I'd never wanted to go to Africa because of the snakes. Friend, when our reputation is shot and we are no longer concerned with the opinion of others and find that we have nothing to lose, we become truly free to do whatever pleases God. We can then be like children again. Me. Yeah. An emancipation. I am feeling that. Already what Satan means for evil is turning. I needed to realize that blessing today. I don't mind people knowing my real faults because they have them too. But it's those false ones that really get at me. Yet that is where the true emancipation comes. So like God to even use the devil's best for his purposes. Him. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Are you willing to be to the praise of God's grace? Is that what you want? To be an object of praise? Then we must acknowledge our true nature, that murderous side in all of us. We must pray to value God's heart above our own. And we must be willing to be nothing that Jesus might become everything. God is calling you praise right now. He's got a nickname for you. Just like he had a nickname for his disciples. We're told in Revelation that he's got a new name for each one of us that's written on a white stone. And no man knows that name. It won't be revealed to you until you get to heaven, but God's already calling you by that name. And he's going to get you there. And Jude, it says, now unto him who is able to present us faultless before the throne of God with exceeding joy, be honor and glory. God is able to make you everything he wants you to be and bring you into the lineage. But you know what? Got to give up that old reputation. Let it get on your nerves. Let it bug you. Be willing to be nothing because Jesus was willing to make himself of no reputation that he might make us objects of praise to God, to the glory of his grace. Let's stand up. Lord, again, these are your daughters. Oh, Lord, we need to acknowledge our nature that we don't give in to it. Lord, but when we acknowledge it, we are emancipated from it. We're not condemned by it. We're not held by it. We're freed from it. When we just say, Lord, it's, it's ugly in there. And we want you to come in and cleanse our hearts. We want you to come in and do everything that you want to do. Everything you need to do. That we might be to the praise of the glory of your grace. That we might say grace. Grace did it all. Grace worked in us. This beautiful work that we might be to God's praise. Lord, here are your daughters. I present them to you. Lord, they are your workmanship. You care about each one of them so desperately, so deeply. There is not one woman in here by mistake. There is not one woman that you don't absolutely want to make an object of praise. There is not one woman in here who is not a trophy to your grace. So Lord, I pray that these women would know how desperately they are loved. Lord, as they are encapsulated in love, may they be able to let go of that reputation.
May they be able to let go of that thing that makes them think they have to insist on their own rights. That, that part that's jealous or, or vengeful. All of that, Lord. May it dissipate. May it disappear. And may Christ be all in all in our hearts and minds and lives that we might be to the praise of your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Until we become nothing, we'll never be something. This humility comes from evaluating ourselves in the light of who Jesus is. James 4.10 reminds us to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift us up. God has called each one of us to be what we cannot be on our own, objects of praise. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study with Cheryl Broderson. If you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply visit our website at graciouswords.com or call 1-800-733-6443 and refer to it by name, which is to the praise of His grace, Judah. Once again, our website is graciouswords.com and our toll-free number is 1-800-733-6443. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we will begin studying the promises of God from Judah to Solomon as we continue our series with Cheryl Broderson through the lineage of the King. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.